Episode 8. Let's revise misrepresentation in books. Hello, lovelies. I'm Sarah Gomez, your host, budding romance author, and general love enthusiast. I touched on the notion of misrepresentation in my last podcast as a way to combat bigotry, but I didn't necessarily go into detail. I wanted to talk about a book that stuck with me in a bad way and how it highlighted the importance of misrepresentation in books. Because I don't want to give the wrong attention to the book itself, I will not name the author, title, or publisher, but I will give you the excruciating details of the plot and characters for discussion purposes. Let me set the scene for you. A couple of years ago, I won a grab bag of romance books during a book giveaway. It was a mix of different romance genres from large publishers to indie authors. One book in particular caught my attention. It was about a Texas ranger that needed to find him some banderos in order to save a heroine from losing her ranch and livelihood. And I thought, I'm from Texas. I like Texas things. So I read it, and it was just wrong. The story structure itself was fine, pacing fine, and it was well written. I will not hold the mechanics of writing against the book, because those things had good merits. It's the characterization of Mexicans and the Mexican culture that fell apart and made me a little uneasy. For reference, I am half Hispanic. ¿Qué pasa? The books started off strong, but slowly devolved into questionable moments that begged the question, did the author even research? All the hombres or señoritas were either shown as dumb or criminals with no redeeming qualities. Near the beginning, the heroine uses clay to give herself a dark tan to pass off as Mexican. I'm baffled by the use of brownface and not sure what is worse. The fact that this scene made it into the book, or the fact that it freaking works on the characters in the book. Yeah, some poor random essays come across the hero, who remains perfectly normal, by the way. But the heroine decides to dress up in Mexi-face. From what I remember, the heroine justifies the whole extreme clay mask bit because a pretty white girl like her will be taken advantage of and kidnapped in Mexico. Oh, and by the way, she still has blue eyes and blonde hair, the latter of which she hides under a hat. Don't get me wrong, Mexico is rough. Whenever my parents visited Mexico, my dad, whose grandparents were from Mexico, was adamant that my mom, a white girl from Texas, never go anywhere without him or stop for the police because of the rampant corruption. The heroine used clay to cover her skin, but couldn't have just camouflaged herself just as easily in some bushes or rocks? It didn't have to be like this. We shouldn't try to justify or normalize brownface. 
Yes, the book took place in a different time period, but the audience is modern. As writers, we take some creative liberties to reimagine the ideas of different time periods, and we want to be inclusive to our audience so they can enjoy the story. If you want to convey your heroine as smart to an audience, show her being clever in other ways. It was a scene that didn't move the story in any meaningful way and could have been easily switched out with another way of showing the heroine's innovation. Later on, there's Spanish. I'm pretty sure it's Google translated because it is very formal and is not at all how a working class or poor family would talk to other people. At one point, a Hispanic mother calls her son Mijil, which is so formal it hurts. Spanish speakers use the term mijo as a condensed version of my son. And it's really odd because readers are told that the mama doesn't speak English and can only speak Spanish. The dialogue could have easily been fixed by running it by a native Spanish speaker, specifically one from Mexico, as Spanish dialect varies from country to country. When you think about the portrayals of Mexican culture and the people in the book, it comes across as tone-deaf. Did the author not have just one Chicana friend to help proofread on why this comes across as disingenuous and disrespectful? And did the editor not notice anything strange about the representation in the book? Nothing about the portrayals were accurate and honestly cut a little too deep for me personally. I wanted to like the book. It should have easily been a keeper, but instead I slogged through to the end with rising blood pressure. Honestly, I feel like the author was coasting on outdated ideas and portrayals of Mexican people and the culture. The cultural references could have easily been remedied by having a Mexican beta reader, editor, or friend chime in on inaccuracies. But characterizations took a back seat and were not given a second thought. It's disheartening to think that the author wrote the book using diversity without a diverse audience in mind. The book was written about my people, mi gente, but it was not written for me. Honestly, I read the author's bio, and she's obviously a very smart woman. She mentions getting a degree in writing from an Ivy League university. I believe the misrepresentation came from a place of ignorance. Nothing more, nothing less. There isn't malice or ill intent driving the characterization in the novel. But the fact that the Hispanic people in the book play into harmful cliches and are used as villains or lackeys paints an unconscious bias towards Hispanics as delinquents or dumb. The instances I pointed out in the book can negatively influence readers who lack real cultural references or have a disposition to stereotypes. 
There are other works by different authors where bias towards certain groups of people are aggressively disrespectful and negative. But here, it feels dismissive and unimportant. Kind of like the author didn't bother to research because she wasn't concerned about setting or side characters because the focus should be elsewhere. I will reiterate the point I made in the previous podcast for context. The danger of misrepresentation isn't just the overt oppression or discrimination of one group of people. The danger can be found in unconsciously perpetuating stereotypes and caricatures of a group of people that you have no personal ties to and are not part of the community. Or even worse, excluding groups of people entirely and omitting their existence from books. When you have a readership or backing from a large audience, it's important to use your voice wisely. Are you presenting these characters in a fully realized way that is respectful? I'm not asking for 100% accuracy. Everyone has different experiences, but it's important not to boil life experience to a handful of negative prejudice ideas. Let me talk about the most egregious example I saw in the book. At the very end of the novel, there was a revelation that the main villain, who we are told multiple times is Mexican, is not really Mexican? Wait, what? I had tapped out of the book long before that. But that sealed the deal with how this book became one of the worst examples of representation that I have ever read. Putting aside every other stereotype and bad characterization I had come across, the fact of the matter was, culturally, this made no sense. Mexican culture is centered around family. The villain is an outsider who has adopted a Mexican name, persona, and family. He has a Mexican mommy that, from what we are told, puts him high above her own flesh-and-blood daughter. That doesn't really happen. While the villain would be embraced as part of the family if adopted in, Hispanic women tend to cling more to their daughters, because that's who they will pass on their history, recipes, and traditions to. And if favor was shown, it would probably be to their own flesh and blood children. Something else bothers me. I would think Benderos would have a problem with a white guy being their leader. And what is it with Caucasians easily passing as Mexicans in this book? Did no one else think that this was weird? Because I have so many questions. As writers, we are given a great opportunity to use words to build bridges to our readers. We can help immerse them in places they've never been and experience the struggles of our characters. It's a chance to connect to our audience. But when we are inauthentic, 
to real cultures or people, it can be harmful and turn away readers. In particular, readers who are part of communities that are poorly represented in books could feel ostracized, and no author wants that. Putting a bad taste in the reader's mouth can lead to did not finish, or bad reviews, or bad publicity. I mean, I'm prime material. I read the book three years ago, and I'm basically ranting on this podcast because I am still fuming. Education and research is so important for us as writers. Whether we like it or not, writers are perceived as default authority in the genre we write, and we're regarded as well-versed in whatever topic we write about. Readers trust us to know about topics and faithfully build that bridge between imaginary and fact. But the truth is that those lines get blurred quite easily, and false information written with enough confidence could be seen as true, even when it's not. There are other forms of writing that ask for creative license, like satire and comedy, but I am strictly talking about works that are centered primarily in nonfiction and fiction that unironically want to be taken as serious, respectful, and generally palatable. When talking about nebulous constructs of world-building and character, it's important to consider the portrayals of real people and real cultures. Many authors create their own cultures and traditions in their books, but when using real-world diversity and repping other communities, conveying untrue information can be incredibly damaging to readers who may not know better. For me, it's important that we talk about where representation is lacking and examining misrepresentation in books. It's easy to be in a moment when reading, and not fully understand the context of a problematic representation. But when you examine it and discuss it, you have valuable hindsight and can dissect why parts of a book may be problematic. Think of it this way. If you are an enthusiast or expert in something, don't you get frustrated when those things are inaccurately portrayed in media? Those misconceptions influence the general public to think that's how things happen in real life, especially if it's an easy fix that could be solved by asking an expert. Most of the time, it's an easy fix that can be solved by asking an expert. Generally speaking, we write for people that look like us, and when we include representation in our books outside of our own experience, we need to consider how that community may interpret our words. It's important to find the time to research. Find beta readers, editors, or a writing group in different communities that can steer you in the right direction or answer questions if you want to incorporate a diverse character in your book. For instance, if I have a question regarding autism, I will go to my friends Susie and Chris. Susie has two autistic boys and has done extensive research regarding the autism spectrum and how different characteristics manifest. 
Chris has Asperger's and lives the experience of being on the spectrum at a high-functioning level. Both can provide true insight into the autism spectrum and how a character with autism might think, feel, and interact with others. Another key factor in branching outside of our comfort zone is to read diverse novels. It's important to enrich and educate ourselves with our reading selection as much as our writing. Just as you might shop around in different genres or subgenres, look to read diverse books within your favorite genres to expand your view of people and culture. If you are looking for a place to start, one of the most prominent names in romance is Beverly Jenkins. She's written for decades and has a host of accolades as testaments to her incredible romances. She's a big advocate for inclusivity and writes diverse characters. The writing community has undergone a huge makeover and is more inclusive, accepting, and encouraging than it has ever been. Networking is a great way to make new connections with other writers and readers. Start interacting with other writers, converse with them, and engage. It's the fastest way to meet new people and find other writer friends from other cultures and backgrounds. And if there is one thing I have learned in my time with the writing community, it's that most writers want to help other writers. As writers, we don't have to stay in our lane necessarily, which is a big part of the appeal in writing and reading. We get to live other lives, fall in love over and over again, and explore new worlds. We owe it to ourselves and readers not to silo our writing into stereotypes and how characters and cultures are portrayed in other media. Most writers work outside of their experience and have characters we don't necessarily identify with, but who we connect to. And the ones we connect with the most are the ones we remember. I'd love to connect with you, and here's how. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Romance the Story. Book recommendation for this episode, Forbidden by Beverly Jenkins. Beverly Jenkins. 